Now, that, that brings attention to a professional police department and what's going on, what really goes on. I mean, that's why Game of Crimes is so professional and so exactly. popular. Exactly. People want to hear the inside stories. <laughs> exactly. Well, look at this. I can tell you, I ran into the uh, uh, commissioner of the Alaska State Troopers, and when they started putting that on Nat Geo, they got all sorts of people applying. Now, the biggest problem was you'd get some guys from the east, like New York, come out there and like, I got to be in what village for three years? Yeah, you're yeah, right. right. <laughs> my, yeah, my backup is going to take four days. What? Yeah. My sled dog by mushing, you know, exactly. you know, Sergeant Preston of the Yukon. Hey, I wanted to ask you about that though, because um, we want to get into talking now about a lot of the work that you're doing right now. But um, I preface that by saying there used to be a time when you and Dave, we, you'd send me messages, you'd, you'd see me on Fox or whatever. Hey, I see you on TV. I can't turn on the TV now without seeing your ass all over the TV. You are on, you have been on so many things, but that gets into what I wanted to talk about with you. You took a lot of your training. You took a lot of the work that you did. Um, and now I think you're doing one of the great things, which is you're, you're out there telling the story. So let's talk about how did you get involved? Uh, but before we do that, uh, I asked you, I told you, I, was, I wanted to ask you about this. You had no problems. Um, You've survived a lot of things, but you had one of the biggest fights of your life. wasn't getting run over uh, by a car in a in a convenience store, was it? But it, it did involve another C. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So um, the end of September 2020, um, you know, I, I just got back from a training trip and I get the get a phone call from, you know, and it's in, you know. The doctor says, uh, you know, Mrs. Smith, yeah. Um, hey, has anybody called you about your uh, biopsy? And I'd forgotten that I'd had a breast biopsy uh, like a month earlier. And uh, uh, and I go, no. And he goes, oh, well, okay, so you have cancer. And uh, it's a very aggressive type. And uh, I've referred you to a, an oncologist that'll, she'll give me a call next week. And he's getting ready to hang up. And I, I, I like, hold on, let me get my husband. So I give the honey, come over here. Manor? What, what the hell? They, and you know, he's a super guy, but they just don't, it's not like on TV. Nobody says, nobody brings you in and sits you down and gives you a tissue and says you have cancer. They go, okay, you got cancer. A lot of other people got cancer. That's kind of the, that's kind of the, um, the, the attitude, you know, and, and you just want to scream at everybody, but, but I have cancer. Well, so do a million other people. And, uh, so, uh, so yeah, so I was diagnosed with, uh, with breast cancer. And, um, so this is, it, it, this is in the middle of the pandemic. So, um, it, which was really serendipitous at the time because we weren't traveling a lot. We weren't doing a lot of training because things kept getting postponed. And, uh, so I'll make long story short and it, it does weave into my, my job with the national police association, but I had a, uh, uh, a double mastectomy. And, uh, after the, after they do that, uh, you know, they told me, okay, great. You're, we got it all. It's all good. You know, we had the kids came down for Thanksgiving and we celebrated. And then I go back to the doctor and she goes, oh, well, I have the rest of your pathology. Great. Uh, you have another kind of cancer. Do I now? And uh, uh, so then I had to go through chemotherapy and, and then a year after, you know, about five months chemotherapy, a year of infusions. And uh, um, I see the oncologist next week. And I think I'll go from seeing an oncologist every 90 days to every six months. And uh, they can't call me cancer free, but they call me presumed cured. So 
Uh, I'm incredibly grateful, but it did factor into uh, multiple things with my uh, my my appearances in the media. So we can we can talk about that too. Well, and I I track this because you posted some of this on Facebook and everything else, and it's kind of like if there's one tough lady who can kick cancer's ass, it's going to be Betsy Brantner Smith. And I mean, you did. I mean, it's like, well, look, you're still doing it too, and um, you had. I mean, Dave. Uh, obviously was there to with you to help you out. And oh, it's yeah. so important to have that relationship um, to do stuff like that. But if I, you know, look, if I ask cancer, I'd be a little afraid. You see what I don't, don't let the good looks fool you here, you know, cause I'll <laughs> kick your ass. And that's what you did. You know, that's what you're, can you, can you well, but, and it was a team effort. I, you know, Dave and I really approached this like, a, as he says, I approached it like an assignment, like a call. And, uh, and that's really why you had to do, but it is very much a, it's a team effort and I'm very low drama. Like I, I didn't even want to tell anybody. I was like, why do we have to tell people? And he's like, well, you can't have cancer and not tell people. I'm like, why? Why it's not? Just, well, because, because you went six months without telling anybody you were pregnant. You're already yes, hiding. I, I'm good at hiding things, you know? <laughs> I mean, I, you know, because I was like, I, at the time, I didn't think I'd have to do chemo. So who's going to know? You know, and our kids, we have four kids. They live all in different parts of the country. And, uh, um, so I was like, we, I don't, I didn't want to worry my kids. I didn't, my mother had died of cancer. So I didn't want to have all this drama with my cousins and, oh, you know, you're going to die and all that stuff. And I was really busy at that time. I had a lot of work to do. And so I just didn't have time to screw around, uh, because that I had only been the spokesman for the national police association for about, about four months when I got this diagnosis. So I was really all eaten up with that job and I just didn't want them to, to say, oh, again, I, this goes back to getting hit by the car and thinking they're going to fire me. I didn't want uh, them to go, oh, great. We got this great spokesman. She's got cancer. We better find somebody healthy. So Jeez. how did that come about? Uh, you getting the job there because tell everybody, first of all, who they're, because a lot of people know who the FOP is, you know, or the right. PBA, right? But so tell us about the NPA. So the National Police Association, nationalpolice.org, by the way, go, don't Google us because you'll get some hate. Um, but uh, um, we are, we're not a union. We're not an association that you can join. We're a charity that um, was founded because of the war on cops that, you know, we, we, we all started to deal with in about 2014. And what we do is we are an organization that brings attention to, uh, the, the anti-police efforts, if you will, in this country. And we do it through, um, we do it through mailings, through national TV and radio public service announcements. We do it through legal filings. Um, you know, we, we, we are the organization that, for example, that is suing, and we're the first organization that did it, to get the National Covenant School Shooting Manifesto released. You know, that's us. We, we get involved in all kinds of Supreme Court filings and things like that. We have a team of... of uh, um, authors. We publish books. We have a podcast. Um, we, ha I have a show on, uh, uh Pluto and, uh, it streams on the first TV. And, uh, so they, didn't had I, do a Pluto I did a Pluto show with you, didn't I? One time. Didn't yes! we do it? You were yes. on my show early on. You were one of the yeah. first people I reached out to. Cause I'm like, I know famous people. I can get them on my show. <laughs> and, uh, you absolutely did. That was a show for special needs people. <laughs> 
It was for yeah, cool. It was it, it was for the retired DEA foundation, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so they they had asked me to if I would like to write. You know, the the boss had had read uh, uh, my writings, Dave's writings, and I'm like, okay. And uh, um, but I had written. I mean, I I bet I've written a thousand articles probably for you know, and I'd kind of lost my muse. But I did a little bit of writing for him, and and then. Um, the death of George Floyd comes and we're all locked up in our houses, right? Unless you're a Black Lives Matter protester and then you can do whatever you want. But um, so they called me and they said, hey, you're you seem like you're good on camera. Can you do this interview with a news station in uh, California? OK. And it was about a uh, there was a Black Lives Matter mural in I think it was San Jose, California. And, uh, but don't quote me on that. It was a California police department. They had a large Black Lives Matter mural painted on the street in front of City Hall. And right in front of City Hall, one of the, each letter had a different depiction. And it depicted Asada Shakur, who is a terrorist and a cop killer who is in exile in, uh, they believe she's Cuba. in Cuba. Um, and uh, but anyway, so the cops every day when they walk to City Hall, they got to see a portrait of a of a, uh, a a cop killer. So the National Police Association got involved, filed some legal filings, and but they wanted somebody to talk about it. So I did, and I I went on TV, and it's hilarious. You can see it online, you know, where I'm looking down at my Zoom camera, and I didn't really understand Zoom at the time, and. And uh, I did understand television, but they, it was COVID. So they didn't take me into a studio. And uh, so then another station called in another station. And, uh, and finally the boss got a hold of me and he goes, do you, you want to be our spokesman? I'm like, sure. And uh, so then um, when you do something like that, sometimes, uh, you know, they hire somebody to uh, handle you, you know, I was handled and uh, they hired a booking company. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, I'm doing, I do a lot of print interviews to this day. Uh, but I started to appear on Fox News and Fox Business. I have Fox Business this afternoon. And, uh, but, uh, but. Are you going to so, get dressed up for Fox Business or are you going to go like you are right now? From the waist up, I will be in a suit. <laughs> from the waist down, I'm usually in pajama pants. And uh, oh, my hero. <laughs> Um, and I am, I am capable of being camera ready in, I, I, my record is six minutes from pajamas to full camera ready. And, uh, so thank God for the short hair and everything, but I was going to ask that. I know part of that's the artifact of chemotherapy and the other stuff, but having short hair has its benefits. Oh right? my goodness. I don't know what I, I should have cut it off a long time ago, but here was the thing. So so I, uh, um, you know, I start doing all these national hits. And of course, I mean, and Morgan, you know this, you, we, if you're in the media, you live on East coast time and yep. I'm in Arizona. So a 6 a.m. You know, a, the air three in the morning, your yes, time, it's three four in, in the morning. morning, I'm talking to Steve Ducey, you know, on Fox and friends. And, um, but so, so, you know, so here's the thing I'm doing, I'm starting to really get busy in the media stuff. And then they tell me I got to do chemotherapy. And, um, and so I finally had to, I had not told, um, 
I don't think I had told the National Police Association. Maybe I told my boss, but I don't think I had told my bookers about the mastectomy and uh, and all that stuff because I was still able to function. Is just... there anything else you're hiding from us in this interview? Well... <laughs> uh oh, you're not pregnant again, are you? God, I hope not. Um, <laughs> but uh, but so I had to tell him, you know, I'm going to lose my hair, and uh, you know, I I got you know. So over the course of a couple of weeks, I decided I had long red hair. I decided to try a couple different haircuts, you know. So I got a short cut, then a shorter cut, and then um, literally, I came out of the you know. So I would started chemo, and your hair doesn't fall out right away. It takes a couple of weeks. I came out of the bathroom. I'm getting ready to go do a fox hit and my hair is coming out in handfuls. And, uh, and so I, I go, go up to Dave and I'm like, I don't know what to do about this. And he goes, see if you can push enough of the hair in place. <laughs> Ask to- a good old guy how to do a comb over. <laughs> yes. And I mean, so I'm like putting in mousse and it's just, it's falling out. And I, I've got, I actually have that hit, but so I finished my hit and I come out of my little home studio here and Dave goes, let's go. And I said, where are we going? And he said, we're, we're going to shave your head. And he goes, you're going to feel a lot better. And so he took me to his place where he gets his haircut and they shave my head and I instantly felt so much better. And, um, so I got a wig, I got a couple of different wigs and, um, you know, continued to do, and it was, I, I have to tell the story of, of, uh, Mark Lamb. I think a lot of people know who Sheriff Mark Lamb is. He's on Fox a lot on TV a lot. And he's, he wears a big cowboy. He's the Arizona sheriff. And he's, he's also my friend and he was on my show, the same show you were on Morgan. And, um, so I've got this blonde wig on and I keep scratching my head. Wigs itch. I don't know how people wear those. And so I'm itching my head and he goes, what's going on, Sarge? This is right before we tape. And I go, ah, oh, you know, and he, Mark had seen me bald before. And I go, ah, oh, this wig, stupid wig itches. And he pulls off his cowboy hat and he goes, take off your wig. I'll do a bald if you will. And, uh, and I just thought that was so sweet because at that time he just never took off his hat. And, uh, but I didn't, I left my wig on because I didn't want to freak out my my viewers. Although, as my husband says, I kind of looked like a Star Trek character. I, I was about to say that it, it was, I, and it's Star Trek, uh, the original after the series, right? But w- when uh, you had William Shatner, you know, playing James T. Kirk, she's bald. She's, I think, part Vulcan, right? And I'm going, that's a great look, but you got to polish it a little bit, though. Well, and I have, so not to be braggadocious, but I have a cute head. And uh, so, and I don't have, in all the crap that's happened to me, um, as a cop, I have no scars on my head. I never got cut in the head. And, um, so I had a super cute head. I was kind of a cute ball girl and I probably should have just, I shouldn't have used the wigs, but the, the book in my booking company is like, yeah, you should probably wear a wig. And, uh, and so I did. So, but I mean, I was like one time I, I had some adverse effects to chemo. So there was one time I got done with chemo. Um, and again, I, I finished chemo about 5 PM and I'm going to do Fox and friends at 3 AM. And, uh, I woke up and my eyes are swollen shut and, um, because I had a bad reaction. And so, um, uh, I, I was actually doing it the next day. So I had 48 hours in between the chemo and when I had to do Fox and friends. So I talked my oncologist into loading me up with massive amounts of steroids so that the swelling would go down so I could do this this hit. And he's like, 
I would not do this for anybody else. And I'm like, I have to be on TV. This is what pays for the insurance, you know? And uh, so it was, it was, but there's some hits on, you can see me on video where I look like I don't listen. You know, I mean, I just look like, damn. And, uh, you know, (laughs) to the point where my husband, he would not, he goes, I will not take you to the store. We're not going anywhere. I'm going to get arrested. This is what you look like. like, Okay. (laughs) So it was an interesting time in my life. And then hair starts growing in different places and you start talking like Hans and Franz. I got loaded up with steroids. Yeah. Well, you lose everything. I didn't, I didn't really think about this, but all your hair goes. So I have no eyebrows. I have no, I, to this day, these are fake eyelashes because, um, my, your eyelashes are the last thing to fall out. And the first thing to, I mean the, I'm sorry. The last thing to fall out, but then they're the last thing to grow back. So, um, so yeah. And, you know, then we, of course, you know, during chemo, we do, had some training events and I got to say this cops are the best people in the world. Um, I would show up at training and I was pretty tired. I was still going through chemo. So I'd wear baseball hats, you know, and, uh, but at some point when, uh, at the beginning of class, I would always take my hat off and just let them know this is, I'm bald cause I'm sick. And uh, every single time I did that, every cop uh, who was bald and wearing a hat in class would take their hat off and put it on the desk. Oh, nice. You know, and just kind of rub their head. And they were all like, you know, and I mean, it's just, I had students, I had some, a bunch of my students shave their heads when I, I had two of my, uh, or I'm sorry, three of my girlfriends, two of them that live here, uh, they shave their heads too when I shave mine. And uh, I mean, it's just extraordinary. The law enforcement community is so amazing. It is. People don't quite understand our culture no. and how close knit it is. No, it was just it was just amazing. We just had incredible support. So let's talk about this role now, because you are a very vocal advocate for law enforcement. You you make no bones about it. Um, and but I think there. I mean, there's a couple issues I want to talk to you about. But I think there's a there's some things that are fixable, but there's a real crisis right now. Uh, and I tell this, I, I told Murph this too, this story, but <laughs> when I was a young, when I was a youth of 16, now I got my driver's license on about driving around in Kansas, I drag race a kid out of town in Abilene, Kansas, and I get pulled over for drag racing. First night, I'll, I pee my pants. You know, it's like, oh my God, I'm going to jail. The world has ended. <laughs> we have gone from that to where now you watch videos of people openly taunting, spitting, hitting on cops, uh, ambushing them. We had Claudia Polinar, the uh, L.A. Sheriff deputy, her and her oh, partner. Oh, yeah, I know her. I know. She's an amazing human being. Yes, she and is. And we, we met her. We had her on our, and, you know, to, for the point of where you've got people now walking up and ambushing law enforcement officers. Um, just it calls where there's ambushes. So what what what's driving this, Betsy? I mean, from at least your vantage point, where have we gone to where it used to be and don't don't get me wrong, Murph and I are not saying cops are 100% perfect, but him and I both say you, nobody hates a bad cop more than a good cop. You know, you you want good cops out there. But it's not just them. It's people's personal responsibility. It's behavior. What has changed in the 20 years or 30 years, you know, since we were all were working and on the job? What's changed from that to where we are now? Well, you can go back to... Uh you know, Ferguson, frankly, and I, you know, not to make it political, but it goes back to the Obama administration. Um, Really, it started with the beer summit and, you know, the Cambridge police acted stupidly and all that. And, and what a lot of people, I I don't think 
understand about Barack Obama. Yes, he was a he was a historic president. He was my senator when I was still on the job in Illinois. He hated cops. We all knew he hated cops. He pushed legislation, um, anti-cop legislation. And so then we go to the Obama administration. And and remember, up until then, um, things were going pretty well for law enforcement, you know, post 9-11-01. Remember, we were all heroes. Everybody still, everybody loved us, all of that. The profession um, had no problems recruiting and retaining people. And then uh, uh, the Obama administration started this, you know, they started ramping up the consent decrees and things like that uh, of agencies. And, uh, And then you fast forward to the death of George Floyd. And so for the past... Uh, almost 10 years, but really for the past three years, we have, it's, it's not even just the vilification and the demonization of the American law enforcement officer. It is truly the attempted dismantling of our entire American criminal justice system. And so when you spend a lot of time telling people that uh, the police are bad, the police are racist, the system is racist, the prison system is bad and racist and unfair, and you're a victim and uh, nothing is your fault, you get what you get here and you know what we have here now. And we saw this, of course, prior to the death of George Floyd, uh, right with the death of Eric Garner, for example, in in New York, and and the attacks on the NYPD and the attacks on the Seattle Police Department. Um, you know, they have dealt with so much Portland PD. You know, we saw this prior to the death of George Floyd, uh, but but then after the death of George Floyd, um, things just exploded, and there we have, and again. I'm in the media every day. Generally speaking, we have an incredibly dishonest media in the United States of America, and they do not tell the truth about the American law enforcement officer. And, uh, and in fact, they lie. And it's, it's incredibly frustrating. You know, I just, there was a, uh, I, I think it was Politico just did a hit piece on me. Um, I'm a, I'm a blue lives matter activist, you know, according to, Politico. And uh, um, it's there are a lot of outlets who don't want to hear the truth about law enforcement. And and this is the thing, the National Police Association, we've done polling with the Rasmussen organization. Most average Americans like the police. They believe in the police. They don't want the police defunded. They want more police in their neighborhood. But we've got this chattering class of people, activists, politicians, some media, um, that want to destroy this profession and what we stand for. It's ultimately about the destruction, I believe, of this country. Agreed. Let let me put a fine point on that, too, because Murph and I have talked about this before. Um, When you defund the police, the people most affected are are the minorities, the people marginalized, the people who need the police more than anybody else. And to your point on the polling, they overwhelmingly say, no, we don't want less police. We want more police. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if the if, if you were a white supremacist and you really wanted to um, affect minorities, you would be all for, hey, let's defund the police. Let's get rid of them because guess what? It would affect the people you like to target. But that's the point. When you defund the police, you defund um, 
imagine, well, look, all you have to do is look at San Francisco and Oakland and Portland and see what happens when you back off on enforcement, what happens? It's the people who pay, the, 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 the law-abiding citizens, the people who pay taxes, the people who are there trying to support their community. All of it, you got Nordstrom's closing in downtown San Francisco. They can't afford to stay open anymore. This is Nordstrom's. They have to close their store. They can't manage the theft. It, it just I've just seen, you know, what we're missing here is the whole discussion around personal responsibility. People keep talking about the cops. Well, guess what? What about the people? If you just quit breaking the damn law, we wouldn't have to deal with it. And I, I get tired of the excuses to say, well, they're underprivileged. Look, I, I'm not going to get into who grew up poor or whatever else, but um, I, I can tell you growing up, um, it wasn't, there wasn't any privilege associated with that. Right, it was same, yeah. uh, mother working two jobs, father absent, no child support, no nothing. Um, things were tough, but it didn't, it did not take away from the personal responsibility you were expected to have to be a member of society. I go back to Sir Robert Peel and the Peelian principles of policing. At some point, it's still upon the public to obey the law. Well, and this is the thing, you know, we keep hearing about, well, um, and I, I appear on multiple shows where somebody else on a panel will say, well, you know, it's because of poverty and this and that. That is so insulting to say, oh, these people commit crimes because they're poor. Because you know what? Most poor people aren't criminals. Most poor people are just trying to get by. And uh, to keep talking about equating poverty with criminal behavior, criminal behavior, being a criminal is a choice. And people make a choice, you know, and, and when we talk about, you know, you just talked about Nordstrom's and when you look at the retail theft rings and you look at, you know, Target, who's about to lose a, a billion dollars or a half a billion dollars just this year, you look at Dick Sporting Goods, who um, even though sales are up, profits are down uh, over 21%. Why is that? Because now we have these organized retail theft rings and it's, you know, I hear people say all the time, why aren't the police doing something? Here's the other piece of that. We now have over 70 George Soros installed prosecutors around this country. We, the voters, were asleep at the wheel when it, when it came to paying attention to who was getting elected to our prosecutor's office, our state's attorney's office. And, uh, and now we have uh, these prosecutors who will not prosecute cases. And, and uh, it's, you know, in fact, I uh, interviewed Cully Stimson from the Heritage Foundation, who he and another guy from Heritage just wrote a book called Rogue Prosecutors, and it details um, the effect on our entire country, these prosecutors, these woke Soros and Saul prosecutors have on um, the quality of life in any given place. I mean, look at Orange County, Florida. Um, you know, Ron DeSantis just fired, if you will, a woke prosecutor who wasn't doing her job. But most states don't have a system in place like Florida does to be able to get rid of them. Now, of course, in San Francisco, they were able to um, recall the DA out there. They were, yeah, they were able to recall Chesa Bowden, um, who was raised by terrorists out of Chicago. And, uh, but, you know, look at LA, George Gascon, look at, look at, uh, you know, look at Manhattan, look at, you know, we could go all around, all around the country and uh, Kim Fox in Cook County, Illinois, she's not going to run again, but I'm sure there'll be somebody in place. And a, a lot of this is on us, the voter. We didn't pay attention. And, and that's one of the things, and I talk about this in the media a lot, is 
is uh, we get all eaten up with who's going to be president and this and that. We got to pay attention to who's on our school board, who's on our county board, who's on our town council, and especially who's going to be uh, our prosecutor in our county. I live in Orange County, Florida, in Orlando, and uh, I've recently got involved with Orlando Police Foundation. In fact, I'm talking to uh, a couple of squads next week down there that just suffered through the shooting of two police officers yes. about four weeks By ago. By a career criminal. Yeah, exactly. And and I haven't heard anybody disappointed whatsoever that the prosecutor here was removed from from her office. From nope. office. Nobody was sad to see her go, I'm guessing. Nope. It's Speaking of Kim Fox, you know who the person that was most tough on her and on Juicy Smollier, Jesse Smollier, <laughs> was Dave Chappelle. Yes. Dave Chappelle. I mean, the one thing I love about Dave Chappelle is, uh, like him or hate him, dude, it's like Ricky Gervais. They have got a a such a mind for jokes and for, you know, for using humor to cut through the uh, human condition, as you might say. Only Dave Chappelle could get away with doing an episode about being a member of the KKK as a black man, but he didn't know it because he was blind. <laughs> that was so awesome. I know. But, but 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 he talked, but that was the whole Kim Fox deal, the whole, uh, you know, who believes in, I mean, really, on the face of it, who believes that downtown Chicago at two o'clock in the morning, two people run up and say, this is MAGA country? Come on. And, you know, Jesse Smollett has never finished his jail sentence. No. Mm-hmm. You know, probably, and probably never will. But right. because I, some people are going to say, were well, you picking on him because his color? No, picking on him because he's stupid. You know, you could have come up with a better story. Um, you know, but that being said, but it was Dave Chappelle, a black guy talking about Jesse Smollett. <laughs> exactly. Another black guy saying he, he took him to task and he took this whole thing to task. But the reason I wanted to kind of bring that up is that we we get we let this issue of race divide us way too much when we're talking about crime um right. and it's it's not being racist when you make an arrest you know is there racism going on sure but let me tell you i can tell you at least from my own little perspective it is not anything like it was when i was growing up to the way it is now people i think are far more tolerant of this stuff but it keeps being the one of the main issues the main wedges of trying to divide the law enforcement from their community is always bringing up the issue of racism what are you seeing from your side well, absolutely. You know, and that that's the thing is I get, uh, you know, like I told you, you know, once in a while my chief will get a hate call or a hate email. And, uh, and especially, you know, during the 2020 and 2021 riots, you know, I got called a racist all the time because I was just telling the truth about uh, the American law enforcement officer. You know, a, a few months ago I was teaching um, in a large agency in uh, Florida and one of the things that I do, one of the things that when I talk about officer ambushes, you know, and you talked about that, Morgan, one of the things I bring up, how do we prevent officer ambushes is that we fight the false narrative that somehow it's the American law enforcement officer is the, who's the problem. So as a part of fighting the false narrative, I talk about um, each year, you know, how many people, law, uh, you know, law enforcement uh, kills each year. What's the racial makeup of those people killed? Cause you know, there's websites like mapping police violence and, and even the Washington post, you know, the Washington post tracks all the people uh, shot and killed by the police, but they don't, they don't talk about the circumstances. They just say, Oh, you know, police, American police have killed a thousand people, you know, as though we just walked out and randomly gunned down a thousand people. So I talked about that and I t- talk about, it's actually a fairly low number of black people that we end up killing each year. And I had 
uh, a law, somebody in law enforcement raise their hand and say, You're, that's wrong. Your statistics are a lie. And I said, these are statistics from multiple sources. I cited my sources and I said, this is the reality. I said, you're whatever it is, whatever media you're listening to, they're they're telling you things that aren't true, that things are not based in reality. She goes, well, it's our reality. And, you know, she was African-American and she said, you know, in our world and she was very serious. She said, the police are gunning down our men constantly. And I said, and I, I said, it's a very large class. And I said, the people gunning down your men are your other men. And that is the reality of the situation. Have you been to Chicago lately on a weekend? Uh, yes, I was just there uh, a few days ago. And, uh, and that's the thing. When you look at those statistics um, of, uh, you know, who, and this is the thing. If we ever want to really get serious about um, African-American victimization, we're going to have to talk about who is victimizing African Americans. And until we are able to talk about that, and you know, here, what am I? I'm an old white woman. So, you know, I am uh, deemed to be unqualified to talk about this. And uh, so we're going to have to go back to the way that we dealt with race, uh, quite frankly, um, in the early 2000s. And just to be able to talk about it uh, frankly and factually. But now we're in a, we're in an era where everybody is so triggered. And, uh, you know, 10 years ago, we didn't even know what that means. And, uh, you know, everybody is so triggered. And, and now, you know, we, not only do we talk about race, but now we've got, uh, the whole trans community thing and the LGBTQ community and, and, uh, which that started, uh, with the, uh, if anyone has ever read the Barack Obama's 21st century policing report, that is where all the trans victimization began. I challenge everyone to go find that report and read it because it talked about um, that police abuse transgender people. We weren't even talking about transgender people much during the Obama administration. I remember reading that thinking, huh, I wonder why they're bringing that in and the LGBTQ community. Well, now we know. And uh, uh so anyway, we have got to, as a, as a nation, tell the truth. And a lot of this is on police leadership. You know, when you see, and you guys saw it and everybody listening saw this, when you saw police leaders kneeling with Black Lives Matter protesters, when you saw a police chief in California, who then ultimately became the police chief here in Tucson, Arizona, where I live, holding up a Black Lives Matter sign, you know, Knowing now what we know about Black Lives Matter, the organization, um, we have to get it together and we've got to fight this false narrative with some truth. But America has to be able to have the intestinal fortitude to digest the truth as well. Right. And everybody's out for their own agenda. The black on black violence is, has gotten to the point that it is unacceptable, but nobody wants to. It's like the the attack of the police officers in Memphis. Yeah, those had been white police officers that would still be in the media, right? But it lasted for about a week and then it went away. And I I don't mean to sound racist, and I I certainly hope I'm not. Uh, I don't think I am, but you know I, I'm sure there's thousands of people out there telling me I am. Hell, I know they send me hate mail all the time. <laughs> well, and. Yeah, when you talk about that, the 
the police chief in that situation in Memphis, she still has her job too. Yeah. It's crazy. It's just, it's, they want, uh, I hate to say they, because then it is being divisive, but everybody, everybody wants to be equal, but they don't want to look at the facts. Well, and we, we talk now about, we talk about equity as though equity means the same as equality. No, it's, it's equality of opportunity, not outcome. I can't guarantee you an outcome. But, you, but you know, I go back to, we were talking about this with the previous guest. Uh, his episode will come out later, but um, Eric McBride down with San Bernardino Police Department. Um, but we were, I was, we were making the point, and I was talking about Chief Brown when he was chief of Dallas PD, and you had the shooter that killed the five Dallas officers, the DART officer, you know, transportation. Um, they used a robot with an explosive to take out the shooter. Because it's like, we don't care at that point. It's like, we're taking you out. And what I loved was the chief, and he ended up becoming, you know, chief there in Chicago. But but one thing he did back there where he was in doubt, da- when he was in Dallas, he says, I hear you people complaining about it. I said, we'll do something about it. Step up. We got job yeah, applications. I remember that. Yeah. He said, here, apply. This is a black police chief telling other people during a Black Lives Matter thing that went south. You had a sniper kill those five officers um, saying, hey, you want to do something about it? Then fine. Step up. Take a job. And do something about it. And, and but I just I get tired of always injecting the issue of race into it, as opposed to what what did they do? What did the person do? Broke into a house, killed somebody. I don't care what color you are, dude. You know, you know, you beat up a pregnant woman. Don't care what color you are, right? Look at don't keep inventing excuses for people's conduct. They've got to be responsible for themselves because if they are not, if we keep giving people hall passes and freebies, we're never going to solve a lot of this problem. Yeah, absolutely. Let's just look at the history of the United States. We were built on the rule of law, which got us to the number one spot in the entire world. And now we're letting certain individuals who happen to be extremely wealthy try to drag us down so that we become a third world country. And that's what George Soros is involved with. If you don't know anything about him, shame on you. Look him up. Well, now his son Alex took over, and Alex is younger and has more money. And, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're now at the point. And then you've got, you know, again, rogue prosecutors. You've got attorneys like Ben Crump who uh, who just literally lie. And, again, unfortunately, you've got uh, city and county leaders in certain situations. The Breonna Taylor case comes to mind where oh, they— they wanted that mayor of Louisville wanted so much for the Breonna Taylor case to be a case of racism and this and that, that they basically created it. And, uh, um, it, you know, that, and that's one of the cases early on that I spent a lot of time in the media talking about to the point where I ended up meeting and becoming friends with the, the sergeant who was shot, John. We just, John Mattingly. John Mattingly. Yeah, we yeah. Our, he was our first episode of this year. Oh, and we awesome. Met him He's a great Southern guy. Fellow. I'm friends with He's his fantastic. wife and, and, uh, you know. Real quick too, here's the shocker. Guess what? His son-in-law, black. Oh, He's I, got, know. I, I know. I know. racial. And they want to say that he is racist. You know, and and I just talked to John last week, setting him up for a speaking event um, where I went to college, and uh, he is still he and his family still live in undisclosed yes. locations because of the continuing threats, even to the point where when Morgan and I and we interviewed him, his episode came out January second of this year, so we interviewed him back in November, December. 
when we sent him a headset to use for the podcast, we had to send it to an address associated with the friend because he, I, and I don't blame him. He he can't, so he, I, I know he cannot have his address out there. He, he, uh, you know, cause they didn't just come after him. You know, they went after his adult children and, and, you know, his grandson and, and, uh, and it's just, and again, people don't, you know, the, the facts are the facts. Right. And, uh, but people don't want to, they want her to be this bizarre cult hero. And, uh, and, you know, she's not, but that's, that goes back to that, you know, fighting the false narrative. And, and that's one of the reasons, you know, we talked about a while ago about officer ambushes. That's one, that's one of the reasons why ambushes are up about 150% over the last 10 years is because young people are being told, remember the guy who's president now said in the, in the Democrat debates that, um, if you're a young black person and you get pulled over by the police, you'll probably get shot in the head. That is so incredibly irresponsible. And, uh, and, and, uh, you know, and this is the thing, this is why I really implore anybody in law enforcement or anybody who, who is a, in a law enforcement family, pay attention to politics because there, there, uh, uh, there are people, uh, especially in, uh, one particular party that absolutely do not give a damn about cops and are actively working against them. Well, that our president now was at an international association of the chiefs of police conference in, here in Orlando years ago when I was still in the job. So when he was vice president and spoke to 15,000 plus police officers from all around the world about how pro-law enforcement he was going to be and we're going to enact everything we can to support law enforcement. That's exactly right. What you're I, doing there is exactly right. I was at right. that conference too, Murph. And you know what other conference I was at? The one in Chicago yes. where Gettin came in and spoke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah it's, it's words mean things. Uh, it just, it, it just, people are going to listen to this episode and I'm going to caveat it. They're going to say, well, you guys say you don't get political. We're not talking politics. We're not talking politics. Murph and I, you know, our guests are free to go to Rome, Rome how they want to. This is the advantage of being a guest. But at the end of the day, I go back, if you don't know who Sir Robert Peel is, if you don't understand the Peelian principles of policing, if you don't understand what the responsibility of the community is, it's not just on the police to enforce laws. It's on the community to obey laws. And it's on both of you to work together to solve common problems. And let me just re- re- reiterate one thing you've already said, Morgan. We, Our regular listeners, you know that if you're new to the game of crimes, we'll be the first to say nobody hates a bad cop more than a good cop. We were in law enforcement for years. I was a cop for 38 years. We're, we stay apolitical on this podcast, but we are absolutely pro-police, pro-law enforcement, back the blue, back the badge, whatever you want to call the, the saying, the quote of the day. And if you're not, you can, you can stay here and learn about the sacrifices and the commitment and the bravery that's required to be in law enforcement, especially today. And if that doesn't change your mind, well, this probably isn't the podcast for you. Well, and that's the thing. And that's why, you know, the National Police Association, we are absolutely apolitical. Um, Betsy isn't always. But uh, but that's why, you know, we don't endorse candidates. We don't get involved in that. We just want Thank people you. to be logical. Yes. We want people to be constitutional. And that is the, you know, that's the root of our justice system, Rule you know, and 
And every one of us, all three of us, raised our right hand at one point in our lives and took an oath to defend and uphold the Constitution of the United States. And let me ask you this, Betsy. When you retired, did your oath expire? It absolutely did not. And in fact, you know, I I think now, you know, I'm probably even better informed about the system um, than I was even when when I was on the job. And uh, and, you know, as I'll tell you, as a retiree, the the Second Amendment, of course, is is very much important to me. And just as a resident of Arizona, where we have we have constitutional carry and and, uh, you know, and and now the First Amendment is so vital. It's vital to me personally to what I do, where I am able to speak and tell the truth. I, I just have to tell you guys a, a very quick story. A few months ago, I was in Tbilisi, Georgia, which is the capital of the country of Georgia. And I'm, I'm doing a, a, a keynote at an international women's conference. And so they asked me to talk about police and the media. And um, so my students are from many, many different countries, including Russia. So I talked about um, a, a particular interview I did where the the host just absolutely lied, absolutely lied about uh, the situation that we were talking about and, and et cetera. So afterwards, a group of Russian police officers came up to me and, uh, and they, you know, so I really enjoyed your presentation. So the one gal through her translator said, um, so these, uh, these reporters that lied about you, are they still in prison? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm like, I bet she wasn't laughing either. Oh my not Lord. They're not in prison. They have their own television <laughs> show. Exactly. They're very famous. <laughs> Oh my gosh. And, but you know, this is a thing where we don't really, and I, and I actually told her, I said, I always carry, when I leave the country, I carry my pocket constitution and I pulled it out and I said, nope. And I said, as a matter of fact, um, I, uh, will die to, um, support their right to be able to lie about me because that's the American system, you know. But that's what the purpose of the Second Amendment is, too, is to make sure that you've got the ability to carry out the First Amendment. <gasps> exactly. <laughs> and exactly. people mistake the First Amendment. The other thing, too, they talk about freedom of speech and freedom of religion. It was Thomas Jefferson who said that the purpose of the purpose of the First Amendment is not to keep uh, religion out of government. It's to keep government out of religion. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and that gets, you know, we... we we, Use uh, that line on Mr. We, D, Know-It-All yeah, Smith. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but see, we misinterpret and misspeak um, when it comes to everything from, you know, our history to our, our laws and our justice system. And, and uh, you know, and now we're just at, uh, now we're at the point of just craziness. It's just, it's insanity. You know, I teach it. One of the things I teach, I teach a class called the truth about gender differences. It has nothing to do with your sexuality. It has to do with the differences between men and women from a scientific and a brain perspective about we shoot differently. We learn differently. We deal with men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. I read the book. Yes, I get it. (laughs) Exactly. I apply all that to police work. I was taking that into the Pentagon several times a year for, for several years. And, uh, now it's it's just the title of the workshop is controversial, and uh, which is insane. It should well, it's just it's like all those people that win your academy class that quit when they yelled at some. Or that was the, our previous Eric. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. Well, no, no, but yeah, same thing with you too. You you yell at people, they get up and leave. But uh, yeah, yeah, they're sad. 
Well, but the other thing too is just we need to close this out because we want to keep. You got to get ready for an interview. Uh, <laughs> but, I got to get on makeup. Yeah, I got to. Well, you, we know it only takes six minutes, guys. You're lucky because we, it only t- we're good for three, maybe. <laughs> that was a joke. Anyway, um, <laughs> but 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 if you want to talk about gender differences, there is, and that's one of the one of the things that hit me, struck me. It was about use of force, and I remember seeing a video of a smaller female officer being just waylaid by a guy on a traffic stop. And it it just said, you know, and that's when we were talking about use of force is not equal. It depends upon your size. It depends upon how long you're in the situation. So many things. And if I got to tell you too, I use of, there was a huge difference. I I had to arrest a former semi-pro football player. Um, I think he's probably dead by now, but he was involved. We pretty sure he's involved in a homicide. This dude was big, could have kicked my ass. I stood back and I had my weapon unholstered. I was a state trooper at the time. I said, I'm going to shoot you, Roy. Says, well, you can't do that. I said, yes, I can, because they take a look at you. They take a look at me. They know you're going to kill me and kick my ass. And by the way, when I shoot you, there's only one person writing a report. Your choice. He goes, oh, good point. Okay. So then he exactly. turned up hand, And then he goes, would you have shot me? I said, if I tell you, then I'll never be able to use it again. So I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, I got to tell you, Betsy, this was, well, first of all, thanks for coming on and doing this. Thanks Absolutely. for doing me a favor. Give, give JD, Mr. JD Buck Savage, you know, big hello from us. But, but you, you've carved out your niche. I appreciate the fact you are unabashedly, uh, uh, you have your opinion, you back it up with facts and people may like it. People may not look, it doesn't matter. We just, the whole lesson is do your homework, get the facts. Just don't believe what is fed to you. Spoon fit, get behind the things, read some books, you know, just dive into it. But Hey, look, keep up the good fight sister. And you, especially, you got to let us know how things come out. Um, because uh, I'd be afraid to be that doctor if he doesn't give you the right news. Betsy, so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got to say, it's been, this has been a, a breath of fresh air having you on the show here. Uh, maybe because we're law enforcement, you know, we're, we're part of the same family here. But just hearing you and, and seeing what you're putting up with and how you're not backing down, you're continuing to live up to your oath. I'm so proud of you, sister. I mean, God bless you and God bless your husband. Hope everything works out good and you get great news. We'll say a prayer for you. Thank you, guys. I, I sure appreciate it. Thanks for all all you're doing to bring so much to people with, with the podcast. We'll all try. right. You guys hang on. Don't go anywhere. Everybody else, stay tuned for the debrief. Say what you want. But um, she's entitled to her facts. I mean, well, she brings, she's not to her opinion, but she brings the facts with her. Mm-hmm. She just doesn't say something. She backs it up. Uh, we talk about the stories. Double mastectomy, breast cancer survivor. She kicked ass. I mean, I, I was really concerned when she started posting this, but I, I think cancer was scared of her. It, you know, if there's something, it's like Chuck Norris, you know, people are scared of him. I think they were scared of Betsy because she wasn't going to take anybody's shit. She got hit with a car in a convenience store. She's still on field training. She's <laughs> gone through the way she got treated at the academy. And here she is. Uh, so God bless you, Betsy. And and uh, with you and Dave, you guys are the perfect match together. You guys are just uh, kicking ass, taking names out there. Well, and these guys, they know what they're talking about. They're still on the international training circuit. You heard her talking about going to other countries and speaking. And she was in the country of Georgia not too long ago. I love that. Uh, you know, and I got to think, after we did our interview, I remember last year at the IACP, a retired DE agent that is doing some diplomatic work over in Georgia asked Javier, hey, would you be willing to come over? Is it Tbilisi? Is that how you say the Tbilisi, capital there? Yeah. And uh, we've got a women's group over there next year that we're having a conference. Would you guys come over and be speakers? And we said, yeah. And I you know, never heard from them again. So 
Uh, I guess they got Betsy, but that you know what? That's probably a better pick anyway. <laughs> um, because just, she's a woman. Yes, that might be a better pick. Well, and, and Betsy and, and to your husband, Dave, also, God bless you for what you're doing. I'm saying a prayer for your cancer that you never have that problem again. And love you for back in the blue, back in the badge, back in the green, whatever it is in the law enforcement culture. You guys are leading the way. So proud to have had you on Game of Crimes. Absolutely. So this is us saluting you, and uh, we'll, we'll, we're going to try and get Dave Smith on too. I'm going to get Dave on here. We'll talk about. We'll talk to the JD Buck Savage. Watch the <laughs> That'll hands. That'll be a good one. Oh, that, watch the hands. Uh, that, but I'm telling you, so much good stuff out of that. Wait, well, guys, we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, head on over to Apple, Spotify, hit those five stars. Let us know what you think about it. Let us know what you think about the episode. Also, head on over to GameOfCrimesPodcast.com, our webpage. We'll put some of Betsy's books on there and a link to where you can find more. Follow us on social media at Game of Crimes on Twitter, Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook, and the Instagram. And head on over to PayPal.com if you want to just throw some stuff our way. We don't mind. Also, head on over to – did I – I didn't say this yet. Patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. I'm just, I'm so excited. I'm – if I sound like I'm rushing, it's because I got to get a couple things done because Notre Dame's playing today. Uh, we're recording this over the weekend, but Notre Dame's playing today against Tennessee State University. They crushed, crushed Navy, and I'm looking forward to them crushing Tennessee State. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you don't you get to watch. Right. Yeah, you too bad for you, Murph. You don't get to watch TV because uh, Disney oh. is uh, and Spectre. well, you know what? I think they're playing on Peacock, and we we have Peacock now because we've been watching Yellowstone. Oh, there you go. So there you I'm go. go. Fire that up. Fire that up. So head on patreon.com slash game of crimes. That's where we got some good stuff we just did. Uh, we talked about our 911 episode. You got to listen to that. We've got our QA coming up. That's one of the funnest things we do. We've got You Can't Make This Shit Up. We've got Narcometer. Murph, I think you have a restraining order uh, on Narcometer. I don't know. <laughs> I think I, think I will do better. Let me just say, I will do better in the future. I promise. I don't think I could do any worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then our Warden of the Throne. Uh, we actually did a four-parter. We each, Murph and I each brought together two topics we wanted to talk about. We had a really good discussion for a little over an hour, our Warden of the Throne. So check that out. But hey, guys, most importantly, we want to thank you, our listeners out there. Spread the wealth, share the wood, share the joy that is Game of Crimes, and we'll see you back here once again on the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all, the Game of Crimes. Did you say share the wood? Share the wood. Share the wealth. <laughs> I think I meant I said share the wealth. You just <laughs> wrote my outro. Crime. 